Merry Christmas, everybody. There we go. There we go. My name is Andy Hermanson, and I'm part of the staff here at Hope Des Moines. Uh, again, as I said in the announcements, it is wonderful to have you with us this morning, this Christmas season morning. Amen? Amen. That's right. Some, some people looked at me this morning when I said Merry Christmas. I walk in the door, and they said, hey, it's not Christmas. It's over. And I said, wait a second. Wait a second. You know when the early church fathers were laying out the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, they realize that this Christmas story, it's not big enough for one day. Oh, it's not even big enough for six days, right? Twelve days the church is supposed to set aside and celebrate Christmas. Have you been having a 12-day party? Anybody else? Right? Today's number five, if you're counting and keeping score uh, at home. But, but we can say it again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's a good thing to say to each other because we got a lot to be excited about. Amen? Amen. Christmas is a big deal. And I know some people have been asking, why are you saying this? Well, I think it's because we have a lot to be excited about as a church. I don't know if you've been around much in our congregation the last few months, but recently we raised $830,000 to move into a permanent facility. So we're going to have to say goodbye to the Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium pretty soon. But I think that's really cool that God did that. We're really excited about that. Uh, And God has been on the move, not just in our building campaign, not just in the future of what we're doing, but it's the stories that have been coming in. It's just, it's been absolutely awesome to be a part of this community and to see the changes that God is making in people's lives. And so I am really, really excited about that. I don't know if you can tell, I'm really excited. I, I haven't even had any coffee this morning, I swear. I have not had any coffee, but it's just exciting. And I think as we're wrapping up this year, I mean, as we're moving out of December now and into 2014, believe it or not, the new year is almost upon us. We just have a lot to be excited about. I think we have so much to be thankful for. I think God has been doing amazing things. And I want to make sure that we all understand that it's, it has nothing to do with us as a staff. Right? As a staff member here at Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines, I mean, we are all just trying to catch our breath. I mean, we are just trying to keep up with what God is doing. It has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with that manger that's there. And it is exciting. That's the reason why I show you that video this morning. Not because I love Nintendo 64s, although... You know Brandon, the kid in that video, absolutely loved it. Everybody with me? Yes! Yes! We'll call it the Christmas morning aerobics. Yes! I thought that was, I thought that that was absolutely awesome. But here's a question I have for you this morning. How many of you in this Christmas season, even the last week or so, how many of you have been as excited as Brandon was in that video? Anybody? <sighs> That's what I thought, right? How many of you wish that you were as excited as Brandon? Maybe you were on the inside, you just can't show it, Right? A few of you? Good. The first service, I had like three people on the first one, and everybody's like, oh yeah, the second one, right? Right? And Christmas is a time of joy and excitement, and my prayer for you is that you got to experience that. And there are so many ways that this comes about. There's so many reasons for it. I mean, for example, maybe in the last week or so, you got to have friends and family come and visit you. You got to spend time with people you don't see very often, and that was exciting. I know that's a source of joy for a lot of people. Others of us, we're so excited that our family and our friends took off and we don't have to see them for another year, right? I have my family here for the last service and so I had to kind of lay back on that one. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And some of us, I know, I, and I'll be honest about that. I know some of us, there are, there are different reasons to be excited. Some of us, it's, it's hard right now to find anything to be excited about. But all the conversations I've had this morning, whether people were from a shelter or they got to open 15 presents on Christmas morning, even in the challenges that people are facing, 
almost always when I talk to people, it's amazing how it always comes around and they can still see something that God is doing. God has given them something to be thankful for, and that is us. We have many things to be thankful for. Maybe it was your family. Maybe the fact they came. Maybe it was the fact that they left, right? Maybe it was the fact that on Christmas Eve, you got to come here and worship and remember and celebrate the King. I loved Christmas Eve, and it's not just the candles, right? But it's that invitation for us to come home. I walked out of that Christmas Eve service on cloud nine because there's something about this time of year where we need to remember the story. And we need to remember the joy and experience the joy that only Jesus can bring. And so I'm going to say it again. There's so much to be excited about in this season. And it's not just the gifts. It's, it's the other things as well. But here's the reality that we also have to face in this Christmas season. It doesn't last forever, right? This joy that we experience, this happiness that this season brings to us, nothing lasts forever. I mean, eventually all the decorations have to come down. Eventually we have to turn the page. I mean, if we're on vacation, eventually we have to go back to work. If we've been you know, binging on Christmas cookies, eventually we need to start eating salads again, right? Nothing lasts forever. And unfortunately for you and for me, the gifts that we give also experience this. They bring so much joy. And yet, at the end of the day, eventually, probably almost everything that we've received ends up on a shelf or in a garbage pail. I'm pretty sure not even Brandon, the kid in this video, right? So much joy on Christmas morning. But if you ask him now, that video was shot in 2006. If you ask him now, where is your Nintendo 64 I'm sure he'd probably say it's on a shelf in a garage or something like that. And here's the thing. We put so much time and energy and even stress. I mean, do you remember a month ago when I was up here on a treadmill, right? We have so much stress and and we get locked into this holiday season to find these gifts for others. But what's the return? I mean, what's, what's the significance? I mean, is it really worth it? Well, to make my point this morning, I wanted to give you a little exercise and I'm going to invite you into an experience that we call community time. And I know for some of you that are introverts, uh, you're going to freak out when I say this, but you know what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, okay? Community time. It's exactly how it sounds. We want you to get to know some people around you. It would be such a shame and we would be missing such a God-given opportunity if we didn't allow you the opportunity to connect with each other. And sometimes that happens after service and sometimes after service you guys are just, boom, you're out of here. And I understand we've all got things to do and places to go. So we wanted to give you a chance to do this. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put two questions on the screen and I want you to find the person that you are comfortable sharing your answers with. Maybe it's a person you don't know at all and that's, that would be awesome. That's kind of the point. But it's also whatever you're comfortable with. Share your answers to these questions and, and have a quick conversation with each other. Here are the questions. We'll put them up on the screen. Number one, what is the best gift you've ever given? In case you can't think of anything good, I'll just throw my answer out and then you know your answer is going to be better than this. The best gift I've ever given anybody was a stick of deodorant. And I'm not saying this because they smell bad. I'm saying this because my wife, uh, fiance at the time, had to go on a four-month trip. She studied abroad and I was trying to think, like she's just got a backpack. She can't take much with her. What is one thing I can give her? And I thought, it's amazing the power of scent and memories. And so I thought, well, here, here's a stick of my deodorant. She threw it in her backpack, carried it around for four months. Best gift I've ever given. See, I know you all can top that. So go ahead, find somebody that you don't know or somebody you're comfortable with, share these answers to these two questions, 
and then I'll bring you back together in a couple minutes. Got it? Go! All right. Well, hopefully you got a chance. Hopefully you weren't selfish and you talked the entire time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not very much time, and I know some of you really love to connect with people. So feel free, just throwing this out here, feel free to talk to each other after the service as well, okay? All right? Uh, So there you go. Connection time, community time. Very good. So the two questions. What is the best gift you've ever received or you've ever given? And then can you remember any of the gifts that you received last year? And here's what I want to know. How many of you are like me and you have a you have kind of a hard time remembering even what you got a year ago. Is there anybody else that's like that? Thank you. Thank you. The last service was like, no, I remember everything. Like, really? I, I don't know. And it's a sign of being blessed, but it, I think it also tells us something about the gifts that we give and the gifts that we receive. I'm sure you all gave amazing gifts, and maybe you you've, have a history of doing that. I mean, I know some people are excellent gift givers in everything they do, is a home run. Then there's people like me that just, we just, I just do a lot of prayer around Christmas time. Like, I hope this, I hope this is good. I hope that this works, right? But no matter if we're giving or receiving the gifts, here's the thing. It's hard to remember them. And I think it's hard to remember because although we give great gifts, they're not life-changing. And I have to say that very carefully because I know that there are people, even in this room, where you can think of life giving gifts that you can receive. I mean, I'll just throw a couple. I mean, if you're waiting for medical help, if you're waiting for something like that, if you're in a financial situation, right? If you got engaged, maybe you got a promotion at work. I mean, those are story-changing, life-changing gifts. But even those only change life for a certain extent. They're nothing compared to the gift that we got at Christmas time, which changes everything in this life and after. And it's because the gifts that we receive bring us joy that we celebrate them. But we also have to acknowledge this idea as we move into this new year that the gifts we receive, the joy eventually runs away for the most part. It's almost like we need something more in a world that's hungry for hope, in a a world that's hungry for joy, in a world that's hungry for a larger story. It's almost like we need something even bigger than a flat screen TV or a Nintendo 64. It's almost like we need a new kind of gift and that's what we want to talk about today. Just as we have the last few weeks, this Christmas series, talking about a new kind of Christmas, whether it's the stress that we're facing or where our joy is coming from, what it means to wait and and to be uh, patient in this time or whether it's to accept God's invitation to come home. All of these things we're talking about because we need a new kind of gift. And lucky for you and I, in the Bible reading that we just had read for us today, the Apostle Paul tells us that he's found it. He tells us that he's found it, and he tells us that it's available for everyone. So let's dive in here today. If you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up, follow along. I want you to turn again to page 900. We're going to look at Philippians, the book of Philippians. Uh, it's a letter written by Paul, a guy uh, kind of a crazy story, and we'll get into that today. We'll talk about his story and, and how God has been uh, working and worked in his life as he walked this earth. Um, but it's interesting, as you learn something about Paul, he just continues to amaze me. And as you read about this, the thing that amazes me more than anything else is how he constantly has this sense of hope and he constantly has this sense of joy. I get the picture as I read and listen to Paul's words that he's a guy who's opened the gift. He understands what it means, not just on Christmas Day, but for every other day of the year. 
And so let's dig into it here. If you get your Bibles open, Philippians chapter 3, page 900, I'm going to start in the first verse. And here's what I'm talking about with this joy stuff. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul says he never gets tired of telling you the, the people in Philippi or any of the other letters that he writes these things because he says it all the time. He says it a ton of times in Philippians. And, and the more that he says it, the more he says rejoice in the Lord, the more we begin to understand it's the theme, it's the message that he's trying to communicate. The story isn't just something that happened a long time ago and it doesn't mean anything for us anymore. It's something that every day we get to open up again and rejoice in. Rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord. It, it seems that Paul is pretty happy to be alive as you read this letter, and, it, and he says it throughout the letter to the Philippians. It's interesting, though, that Paul seems and comes across as somebody who's happy to be alive when it might come as a surprise that Paul's actually writing this letter from prison. In fact, scholars believe that he's in prison, and he probably knows he doesn't have very many days before his execution as he's writing this. And Paul's just such an interesting guy to me because if I were in the situation he's in, it would be a totally different scenario. I don't even know if I'd be taking time to write letters. But Paul is, and he continues to do other things. I mean, at some point when you consider Paul's life, when you consider this guy has been beaten up, he's been dragged out of cities and left for dead, he's been persecuted, he's been abandoned, he's been shipwrecked, now he's been thrown in prison and sentenced to death for his faith. You eventually have to ask yourself, where does that joy come from? Where does this passion for Jesus come from? And lucky for us, in verse 10, Paul gives the answer. And if I had to sum it up, I would just say simply this. It's knowing Jesus. Where does Paul's joy come from? It comes from knowing Jesus. After he asks us to rejoice in this chapter, as he tells us a little bit about what he's been up to and what God's been teaching him, he says this, in this Verse, verse 10 and verse 11. This is my prayer for us as a church this morning. I want to know Christ, he says. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Is that, is that passion or what? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul has joy and it's come through knowing Jesus Christ. But if you know Paul's story, you know this is a long ways away from where he started. In fact, Paul wasn't even called Paul. He was known as Saul. And it's a long ways away from where he started. As we first meet him back in Acts chapter 9, and we'll look at that in just a second, if you understand where Paul came from and where he is now in this prison cell, the, the kind of person that he is, then you see a completely different picture, and you know God has done some serious work on Paul's life. When we look at Paul's life, it's apparent that he's opened the greatest gift ever. He's opened this new kind of gift. And to dig in here this morning, let's take a quick look back to see exactly what, who Paul was before knowing Christ. So that's, that's Acts 9. It's page 837, uh, if you're using the Bible that we hand out here on Sunday mornings. And I just want to read this to you, and I want you, to, I want you to see if this tells you anything about Paul. As I read this to you, tell me if this is the kind of guy you want to sit next to in the church pew, all right? This is the description of our beloved Paul, who eventually would go on to write a majority of the New Testament. 
And keep in mind, as I read this, his name was Saul at the time. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's following followers. All right, let me say that again. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Just before this, it says he watched the stoning of Stephen and he cheered. He was pleased with the result. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not the kind of guy I want to invite to come over to my life group and spend time in my home studying the Bible, right? He's not exactly the guy that you want to sit next to in church. And yet God sees something in him. God knows something about him and wants to work a miracle. And so God does what he likes to do. He shows up in an unexpected way and he changes everything. And so the story goes on, verse 3 in that chapter 9. As Paul was approaching Damascus on this mission to go and to kill Christians, essentially, to stop this movement that Jesus has started, a light from heaven suddenly showed down around him And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul just asked, who are you? The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And he gives him instructions, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. And so Saul picks himself up, he gets into town and he stays there for three days. Regardless of what you think of that story, there's one fact that's true. After Paul's collision with Jesus, he's never going to be the same again. And I want to be careful as we lay this out here, as as we kind of understand this gift that we've been given. Paul's never going to be the same again, and it's not because he's found the gift, but it's because the gift has found him. Paul was on a mission, and God came to him in a most unexpected way. Just as the Christmas story tells about God coming to us also in a most unexpected way. You see, for Paul, he's made this connection. Paul knows that there was a promise of a Messiah. Paul knows, especially now, after this little incident along the road, that this, this God made good on his promise. He knows that this Savior showed up in an unexpected manger, that the Savior grew up and he lived a sinless life, that he died on his cross. He knows that the Savior, his name is Jesus. And here's the best part, that this Jesus who was raised from the grave, Paul now knows, lives to this day because he's been raised from the grave and has come to give us eternal life and the power to live this eternal life now in the Holy Spirit. Paul runs into Jesus and it changes everything. It turns the story upside down. And this is good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me because you and I can run into Jesus and it changes everything as well. And God's been doing this for years. I mean, this happened thousands of years ago with Paul and it's been happening every day since. And I love hearing the stories of the people in this church about the things that God has been doing, the way he's been changing hearts. I mean, you want to talk about miracles. People that are addicted to things aren't addicted anymore. People that are angry in their relationships with their parents or their spouse, it's, it seems like it's dead. I mean, God's been bringing them back to life. There's been amazing things happening in this church, and it continues. I wish, you know what I wish? I wish we had time for all of us to share this morning the things that God has done. I mean, the blessings and the miracles in our life, but we can't because we'd be here all day, and some of us are going to want to eat lunch in a little bit, right? But the reality is that God is on the move. And he continues to be on the move in Paul 
Because as he, the story continues, Paul was blinded and he was in Damascus. But eventually, God brought another follower of Jesus to him, probably thought he was crazy at the time, and went and approached this Christian killer and told him that God had a new plan for his life. And everything about Paul's story was turned upside down, and he moved from being Saul to Paul. He moved from Saul to being Paul. He moved from killing Christians to, in some ways, leading and revolutionizing the very movement that Jesus had started. And I have a question for you this morning. This is where it gets real and it gets personal for us. I want to ask you this question, and I really want you to think about it for a second. In answer to yourself, is it a yes or is it a no? Here's my question. Do you believe that God can change your story? Wherever you're at now, whatever it is that you're facing, wherever it is, whatever it is you're up against, do you believe that God can change the outcome? Because sooner or later, you and I have to decide if this is true, then this is the reality, and it affects the way that we live our lives. Not that we don't have moments of doubt, and that's why we're in community. Because nothing lasts forever. Even the hope that we have, the, the power of hearing the Christmas story, that's why we have to gather for worship every week, for life group every week, because it, it leaks out of us. But if you ask Paul today, can God change your story? He would say the answer is absolutely yes. And he even says so in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. It's true for you and it's true for me. It says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And I want to put these words up on the screen. And because this is true for you and for me, I think there's something amazing that happens. We believe it when we say it out loud. So let's read this together. Here we go. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Absolutely. I love that the way the NIV puts it. It says that anyone who's in Christ has become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And I don't know about you, but even when I look back at 2013, there's plenty of old that I would love to get rid of, right? I would love to welcome in the new and remember who God has made me to be and say goodbye to the old. If that doesn't sound like a life-changing gift, then I'm not sure I can find you one. Because Paul runs into Jesus, God makes us into a new creation, and everything changes. God's, Paul's story was changed. And yes, God changed Paul's story and his direction, but it also goes much deeper than that. We don't see that it's just a story. We see that it's also his identity has changed, the way or the place where he draws his value. You see, before Jesus, Paul was a guy that had it all figured out. I'll just say that again, because I know some of us in this room can relate to this. Paul was a guy who thought he had it all figured out. I'm pretty sure he didn't need to ask for directions at the gas station, Right? Not that any of us could relate to that, myself included. But he believed that he had all that he needed to get through life, but when Jesus showed up, that changed as well. I mean, listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3 again. He says, We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. If anyone has a reason for confidence in their own, I have even more. And he goes through this list, circumcised when he was eight days old pure-blooded citizen of Israel, member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. You see, Paul was all in. He knew what it was like to be on the varsity 
team when it came to his faith. As for righteousness, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul knows what he's talking about. But again, as God has come into his life, as he's experienced this collision, as he's opened up this gift, something inside him has shifted. And it's the place where he chooses to draw his value from. Listen to what he says. I once thought that these things, this list he's just given, I thought that was so valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see again for Paul, knowing Christ is everything. But you've got to be asking yourself this morning, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, what does it mean for us to know Christ? It's not like we can reach out and shake his hand, right? You can't pick up the phone and talk to him, but you can talk to him. You can talk to him. So we have to ask, what does this look like? Well, I think Paul's story laid out in Scripture is a great picture of what it does look like to know Christ. But we also have to understand that there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing all about them, right? There's a difference between knowing something and experiencing it and knowing all about it or assuming that we know all about it. And when I think about this, I cannot think of any better example in my life of where I'm thinking, I think I, I know but in reality, I'm over here and I have no idea than trying to raise kids. I mean, if you need an area in my life where this could not be truer for me, that there is a difference between knowing it and thinking you know it, then it's true for me it's being a parent. Because here's the fact that I thought I knew, but I didn't. Having a baby changes everything. Can I get an amen from the parents? Amen. Amen. Having a baby changes everything. I mean, when, first, when Heather and I first started and had our first child, I mean, I was terrified. I'll be honest with you. I was terrified. And you know what? As we now have three kids, I had a very good reason to be terrified. I've seen every reason I have to be. I mean, it seems easy at first, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seems like it's not that hard, right? They've got, they've got their little diapers and you change them when they're dirty and you feed them their little bottles and you put them down for their naps because they go down for their naps every time, right? But then they start crawling, right? Then they start moving and they've got this mobility and this freedom and they're like, ooh, what am I going to do with this? And it turns out, at least in my house, the answer is whatever dad says not to. That's what we are going to do, right? They start talking back. They start doing things. I mean, they just make these huge messes and I'm like, why can't you just clean up after yourself? <clears throat> Parents dream, right? I can so remember a time as a young adult where I watched a kid, maybe a three or four-year-old, throw a tantrum in a department store. And honest to God, this is what I thought in my head, right? Wow, thank God that will never happen to me. <laughs> I'll have that under control. I mean, I studied family, social work in college. I mean, I had to take parenting classes to get my degree from you and I, right? And I thought, okay, I have this under control. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to make sure that I have everything figured out. And I had my plan and I was good to go until this kid showed up, right? This is my son, Callan. This is a family photo shoot that we did a couple months ago. They shot like 600 photos and we got to keep like seven because the rest of them were him doing stuff like this. Like even the family photo has a smile in it a bigger, a slightly obnoxious smile, maybe a little bit more than his mother would have preferred, right? I had this thing figured out, and then my kids showed up and completely humbled me, 
complete. I mean, I can't even keep my kid. If you've been here any of the weeks, you know this. I can't even keep him from doing a lap around the gym here during a worship service sometimes because he just loves to go. He just loves to be and to do wherever the party is taking him. I thought I knew what it meant to be a parent, and then I became one, and I realized I had no idea. And that's because the only way to really know is to experience. The only way to really know, to meet someone, to understand, to engage, to know them, whether it's Jesus or this idea of raising a family of well-behaved children and how difficult it is, is to learn through experience. And the same is true in our relationship with God as well. But even then, there's still going to be surprises. A moment ago, I was just telling you that uh, a baby changes everything. And that was a really hefty response, and amen on that one. For some reason, I feel like people were really in agreement with me on that one. And it was true. It was true for my wife and I the first time. It was true for us the second time. That's when Callan came along. Woo! Uh, I could spend a lot of time talking about that one. The third one, it was true as well. And as I found out recently, and not everybody knows this, I found out that a baby changes everything, even the fourth time, because we are expecting in July. Yes. Yeah, that was my reaction. Woo! Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Right? I have a picture here that we took with our parents on Thanksgiving. This is my youngest. This is Violet. And we put the big sister uh, shirt on her and took her to my parents. And we said, hey, happy Thanksgiving. And they're like, what, did you, did you forget to do laundry or something? You had to put her in your sister's shirt? And we're like, no, she's a big sister. And they're like, okay, awesome. We'll see how this goes. Right? But it was an interesting experience as we go through this, as we understood this, because the baby changes everything. And even before they show up, Right, for those nine months. And by the way, women, I salute you. Thank you for carrying the babies for nine months if you're called to that and get to be a parent. But it changes everything. It changes the schedule. It changes the finances. It changes the amount of patience I have. It changes the amount of time I get to spend with my wife. It changed everything. And truth be told, I'm sure the changes will continue to come. Just as Paul's little encounter with Jesus was just a moment but it continues to reverberate in his life, changing everything. You see, for Paul, again, everything had changed. Not only does it change his identity, but it changes his attitude and his outlook as well. And again, we're back to Philippians chapter 3. Let me just read to you verse 13. Paul says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. This, this glory, this opening of this, this life, fully experiencing all that Jesus has to give. He says, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. This is his outlook moving into the future. He says, I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. You see, Paul has found something worth living for, something that we all need entering into this holiday season because I don't know if you know this or not, but you are in serious risk of catching this disease that I just discovered. All right, I don't know if you know this or not, I can't think of a better name. If you have a better name for it that actually sounds like a disease, let me know. But here's what I'm calling it. The holiday hangover. All right? It's the holiday hangover. And here's the thing. You may not even know this. You are at risk. You see, there's this thing about living in Iowa when it kind of happens when fall begins to turn into winter. It starts getting dark earlier, right? It just kind of starts getting depressing. I mean, and it gets ridiculously cold. And, and usually by at least by December 1st, all of us are asking this question, like, why do we live here? right? I mean, today I got up and it was like 30 degrees. Yesterday it was what, 50? And when I went out between services, it was like five, 
Why do we live here? That's what I want to know, right? And so we experience this in the fall, and it starts creeping into us. But here's the thing. The Christmas season, it kind of props us up. I mean, there's Thanksgiving, and there's the food, and there's the family, right? But then Christmas comes along. There's the music. There's the cookies, right? There's the Christmas lights we drive around. There are the parties that we get to go to, the friends that we get to spend time with. And after Christmas, though, unfortunately, in a matter of moments, it feels like all of that goes away. And you ever wake up in early January and you just think, why am I here? Why do I live in this state? What, what do I have to look forward to? Do you ever just go through the month of December and you just feel blah? Because it's still ridiculously cold. It's darker than it's ever been. But now you have messes to clean up and you have bills to pay. If you wake up and you think, what is going on? And you're not experiencing the joy of the season? That's what I call a holiday hangover. Because we're stuck in this thing that I also like to call the bleak midwinter. And I'm not sure if you've ever even opened a Lutheran hymnal, but there's a hymn in there about a bleak midwinter. And it's supposedly a Christmas song. I think it sounds a lot more like Iowa in January. Right? But we enter into this season and we leave this season with this transition to make where we need something to look forward to. We need something like the, Paul, like the gift that Paul has opened. We need hope. And hope is what Paul has. You can hear it in the way that he describes the situation. Later on in chapter 4, Philippians, he's sharing his needs and he's thanking the Philippians for the ways that they've supported him. And this is what he says. Not that I was ever in need, because he's thanking them for the gifts they sent, but he says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Talk about a miracle. To be content with whatever I have, he says. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, a lot of times we throw that verse around and we say, oh, you can do this, you can do that. But what Paul's talking about there is just this idea this gift that God gives us, we need all the strength that Christ can give us just to experience joy in the circumstances. And if we learn nothing else from Paul's story, we need to understand that it's possible. If we look at the, the tone of voice, the way that Paul is conducting himself, I mean, he's converted half of this jail in Rome, he says. That's a guy who's living with hope, not just on Christmas morning, but every single day. He's a guy who has opened the gift and understands that knowing Christ changes everything. And I got to believe if Paul were here today, he'd want to remember one thing. If he could only have 30 seconds of our time, I feel like Paul would give us two words. He'd want us to know it happened. He'd want us to know it happened. That is Christmas happened. That is the baby came. The baby grew up the baby died on the cross. The baby left the grave. And it changed everything. But if we're not careful, we can miss the joy and the power of this Christmas story. Because there are all these voices around us. There are all these things calling for our attention. As we launch into 2014, I think it's, remember, it's important that we remember that Christmas didn't just start on Christmas Day but the impact lasts forever. Let's take a look.
Imagine Christmas is over. All the programs have been performed. All the pictures have been taken. The carolers are done singing. The holiday parties have come and gone. The presents are unwrapped. And the big dinners have all been eaten. The Christmas music is turned off. The family's headed back home. Someone from work is on the phone. The kids have a practice to get to. The house needs to be cleaned. The bills still need to be paid. The groceries are running low. The stock market is still down and up and down. The TV is still on. The news is still worrisome. Life just keeps going as if Christmas never happened. But it did happen. Look around. The church is full of family and friends and laughter. Because the baby is still the Savior. And the Savior is still the gift held out to a world still looking for joy, an earth still waiting for peace, and the peaceful still sing in wonder of the God who gave his son, and the son who gave his life to add us to his family, and one day welcome us home. Imagine Christmas is over. But remember that it really happened. And it changed everything. And so here we are, caught in this tension between the idea that there's a story that has taken place, that this is this not just any story, but it's a story that changes everything. I mean, that there's power, that there's mystery, and there's hope to be brought from it. But on the other side of that, there's the reality that come Monday morning, there's a whole other world to live in. And for better or for worse, this world, for the most part, doesn't even want that story to exist. What do we do? What do we understand? How do we live as if we know Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus in the days to come? And with the New Year's resolutions and with the calendar coming to an end and beginning to look ahead to this, this next season, the 2014, it just, it's got me thinking about a lot of things. And it's got me thinking about this question in particular. What kind of church are we going to be? I mean, we've got a vision. We've got a mission statement. We've got all these plans worked out on 
documents on our computers, but what kind of church are you and I going to be? Are we going to be the kind of church that just accepts the gift, we open the gift, we say, oh, that's awesome. And then we allow it to kind of lose focus and and we put it back in the garage. Are we going to be the kind of people who live with this joy that Paul has found, this joy that shows up in the most amazing places and every day is new as he looks in to the face of God? As I've been thinking about this, I, I came across an article this week that I thought, you know, This really speaks to the challenge that we face, and I also think it articulates the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Not just the kind of church that I want to be a part of, but the kind of Jesus follower I want to be. And it's just got me thinking, what if we as a church were considered unpredictable and maybe even dangerous? This is by Robert Capone. He's an Episcopal priest. Uh, And he addresses what I think is a fundamental issue, a, a challenge that we face as Christians living in this day and age. He says the most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion or pornography or the disintegration of the family. He says it's not moral absolutes, it's not MTV, it's not drugs, racism, sexuality, or even school prayer. No, for him, the critical issue of the day is dullness. We have lost our sense of astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's merely just okay news. You see, in his mind, Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's become life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. And for Robert, he says, if Christianity is simply about becoming a nice person, then I'm not interested, and I have to agree with him on that. And the stories I hear, the people I meet, the life that I live, I, I need a God who, who is raised from the dead, who makes all things new. I mean, we've got it on our banner over here. Because we believe that that's the kind of God that we're looking for. He says, if Christianity is simply about being nice, then I'm not interested. And then he asks some questions, and I have questions I'm dying to know. What happened to radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through Paul's first-century life like wildfire? It was, was considered by those in power to be dangerous. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable in a good way, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with passion and gratitude and who every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I love what he says as he wraps up. He says, I am ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment which is so captivating, so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable and yes, you guessed it, dangerous. This is what Robert says he wants and this is my prayer for us as a church. He says, yes, I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. I want a faith that's considered dangerous by our predictable and our monotonous culture. Let me ask you this morning, Hope Des Moines, Are you feeling dangerous? 
because you should be. Are you ready for a faith that wrecks your life? These are the kind of questions we ask at the beginning of a new year. And here's the question I'm also thinking about a ton. Are we even ready for the gifts that God wants to give us in 2014? Or do we need to spend more time knowing Him? I mean, He just gave us this building, these new neighbors, this new neighborhood, this new opportunity to take the gospel to every nook and cranny of this city. Are we ready for that? Well, if we say yes to Jesus' invitation to experience this joy, then you better believe we are ready for this. Not that we don't have work to do, but we get to rest in the arms of our saviors, of our Savior and enjoy the ride. Because we get to open today and every day for the rest of our lives this gift of Jesus, the gift that changes everything. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? God, I say thank you for your story. God, I say thank you for your gospel, for this good news that changes everybody's lives. I mean, even people who kill Christians have room in this church, have room in your family. And God, if you can change Paul's lives, then God, we confess and we believe today that you can change our stories too. You can change the stories of the people around you because there is hope. There is hope that comes in the form of a manger. God, help us to open this new kind of gift. And yes, God, help us to be dangerous. Dangerous to a dull and boring religion. Dangerous to a predictable and monotonous life. God, thank you for the gift of your son. And Lord, we pray for amazing, amazing things to happen when we come back next week and next year. God, thank you for meeting us here today. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.